0: We're going to look at the book of Luke this morning, and as I mentioned, talk about somebody who uh, waited quite well. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts... Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, uh, when we when we have our Bible, I have my Bible, but I'm not going to pick it up because I only I, I don't have two hands, I only have one hand. Uh, but in your Bible, uh, for those of you that still read a uh, a paper Bible, um, when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is one page in between, right? Usually, Malachi ends, and then it says New Testament. You flip that page, and there it is. And sometimes we don't realize that. That one page in between actually represents almost 500 years of history. Um, that's a whole lot of not yet. Okay, that's a long, long time. The consolation of Israel was a a belief uh, in the restoration of Israel to its proper place in society as God's chosen people. Israel had been, at this point in time, uh, for hundreds of years under the control or rule of other people. First the uh, Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now they were under the control and rule of the Romans, and they believed that as God's chosen people, that they would be restored to their place, uh, in sort of the, you know, in charge, kind of in, in, in control of society, that they were the chosen people. And in fact, they believed that there would be a Messiah, a Savior who would come. That Messiah would, would, uh, engage in a military, a, a kind of a violent military, uh, conquest of the enemies of God, overthrow them, reestablish Israel to its proper place and And that was the the hope for the consolation of Israel and at the time that Jesus was born, after this sort of five hundred five hundred year gap in history in which God had been more or less quiet uh, that hope was everywhere there was sort of this 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 prophetic sense, this sort of understanding, this feeling, this this, kind of swirling about that something was going to happen. This was coming soon. Something was going to take place. This had been prophesied about uh, for many, many years. Uh, People were talking about it, and it was sort of just the atmosphere was kind of ripe for change. There was this thought, something's going to happen. God's going to come soon. In the midst of that environment, there are really two things that set Simeon apart from everybody else in terms of waiting and and knowing that God was going to come. The first thing that set Simeon apart was that God told him, you're not going to die until you see it. The Messiah is going to come in your lifetime. That that distinguished him. Other people had a general sense that this was going to happen. They thought maybe it was going to come soon. But Simeon had a word from the Lord that was going to happen in his lifetime. It's an interesting thing, really. I grew up in the uh, 70s and early 80s, in which uh, there was a lot of uh, people that really believed Jesus was going to return very soon. He was coming soon. And uh, there were dates predicted. And And it's uh, looking back on it, I was thinking about it this week, and, you know... It was pretty much, it was pervasive. It was, it was really across the board. A lot of people thought that. And the reason they thought that, I think, is there, was a, there were a number of different voices speaking that. And some of them were, to be honest, kind of, you know, crackpots. They were kind of people that were out there. But some of them were not. So, you know, Chuck Smith predicted Jesus would turn several times. And Chuck was probably one of the most well-respected Bible scholars of the day. So, you know, when he said this, people listened. And so what happened, I mean, anybody that was around remembers, it was a little bit of a crazy time. And some people didn't react very well. There was actually a lot of people who uh, did things, I think, that were not wise because they thought Jesus was going to return. I don't need to save for the future. I don't need to put any money in savings. I don't need to have a retirement account because Jesus has come back, so I won't need those things, so I'll just spend all the money I have now. In fact... Now that I think about it, because Jesus is going to come back any day, I might as well just go buy a new car. I mean, what the heck? I'm not even going to have to pay for it. So there was a lot of that kind of thinking. Uh, you know, I'm like, how did that work out for you? Um, I still, have, I have friends today. I, I have friends today who believe uh, that Jesus will return in our lifetime. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I'm more of the opinion I, I don't know, I don't know. Simeon had a word from the Lord. He knew that he was going to see the Messiah in his lifetime. The other thing that separated Simeon from everybody else is that the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, um, waiting in the Holy Spirit is different than waiting on your own. In fact, I'm going to say that is a game changer. Uh, Patience is... We, you know, patience, the definition, really, of patience is waiting well, isn't it? Patience is, is learning to wait well. Patience is what? A fruit of the Holy Spirit. Patience comes from cultivating relationship with the Spirit of God and allowing Him to touch our lives and fill our lives in such a way that these fruit then grow uh, in, in our character, in our nature, and who we are. And one of those things is patience, and we learn to wait well in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today, if you're waiting for something and there's anxiety or tension or fear uh, connected to that waiting, that you submit that to the Holy Spirit. And you begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart in such a way that you learn and, and you're able to, in Him, wait. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct your waiting, and I think you'll have a very different experience than you might outside of Him. Simeon had been waiting in the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know uh, how how long he had been waiting. Uh, Presumably a long time. It doesn't say in the text. It doesn't tell us how long. When you read it, the context of it, the way you read the story, it kind of sounds as though it had been a long time, but we don't know that for sure. But let's just say for some time Simeon had been waiting. But now here's the other thing. We also don't know how much the Holy Spirit had actually revealed to him. Okay, what we know is this. What it tells us is that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. So that was a solid word from God. Simeon knew that in his lifetime, he would see the Messiah. What was his expectation in that? Now, I'm speculating here. This this is not in the text, but I'm just going to tell you what I think. Okay? My experience, as well as sort of my, my history, just, just watching things, lead me to believe that, that Simeon's expectation was shaped largely by the culture and the society around him and what had been spoken prophetically in different places. So there was this expectation that this conquering warrior king was going to come and overthrow the enemies of God. My suspicion is that that's what Simeon was waiting for, and that that's what he believed he would see in his lifetime. And the reason I say that is this, that very often the Holy Spirit will give us insight. He'll give us a a little inkling, a little idea of, of what he's going to do, but rarely does he ever give us the whole picture. It's usually not full. It's not clear. It's not It's not the, the whole thing. And that, that's why we, we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It takes a risk to walk out what God's doing in our lives because sometimes we know God's doing something. He's about something. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, exactly how that's going to take place. And so we just have to take step by step and move forward in that. And I really believe that Simeon was waiting with the same expectation that everybody else was waiting for that the Messiah would come and overthrow the, uh, the Roman Empire and establish Israel back on their throne again. So he's waiting, and then it says he was moved by the Spirit. So just imagine, again, I don't know how long he'd been waiting for, but one day, God says, now, today's the day. This is it. This is what you've been waiting for. I want you to go to the temple today because today's the day. So Simeon goes to the temple. And again, I I don't know that he even knew what to expect when he got there. He gets to the temple. He doesn't find a conquering Messiah, a warrior king. He doesn't find a mighty one at all. He finds a baby. A tiny, vulnerable, helpless, cute, chubby-cheeked little baby. little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. I apologize. Um, Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. But when he sees this infant... He becomes aware that this is much more than simply the consolation of Israel. He recognized that this child is to be a light for all nations. And again, there, there had been sort of prophetic glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament. There were these different prophetic words that would indicate that the Messiah, the Savior, would come and would have impact uh, across the nations. But again, I don't, I don't think anyone really knew exactly how that would happen or, or what that would look like. And here's this baby that is destined to be bigger, uh, greater, more all-encompassing, I think, than anyone really imagined it would be. And I want to say to us today that uh, that's, that's how God works. God breaks boundaries. He breaks um, narrow expectations. Sometimes we think God's going to do this, and God says, no, what I want to do is so much bigger than that. He doesn't work the way that we think or expect that he's going to work. This is really the uh, the the birth of Jesus is very much the mustard seed principle that we see throughout Scripture. God God works in uh, inconspicuous ways. He starts small. There's something that doesn't look like it amounts to much, and then God takes that and uses it to to advance His kingdom. If, If you look at the whole story, just consider for a minute the people that God gave sort of the uh, the inside info to, okay? So he spoke and he gave some insight that he, this was going to happen or was happening to a few people along the way. So the first of those, of course, was Mary. And who was Mary? Mary was an impoverished teenage girl. Mary was a 15-year-old living in a double wide in Malala. That's who Mary was. And God sends the angel Gabriel to let her know what's going on. And then Simeon and Anna. Okay, so in the passage right after Simeon, it talks about uh, prophetess Anna, who was also there that day. And when we read this passage, we might go, well, hey, they, they seem like they're pretty important people. But the truth is this that they're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We have no idea who they were. I think, again, the assumption is that Simeon is a priest, but the truth is it never says he was a priest. And, in fact, he wasn't in the temple. God told him to go to the temple. All we know about Simeon and Anna is is this. Simeon was a man in Jerusalem, and Anna was very old. That's all we know. And yet God gave them prophetic insight. And then there was the shepherds. The shepherds were out in the field watching their flocks by night. They saw the star, and they saw the angel, and they saw the host. They had the best light show, the best concert ever in history. And they were the lowlifes of society. The shepherds were really the lowest class of people in culture of that day. They, they, Because of the very nature of their job, because they did what they did, they were considered unclean, and they weren't even allowed to go into the temple to worship. And yet God puts on this spectacular display for them to let him know that he's going to be there. And then you go, well, hey, wait a minute, but what about the wise men? They were kings, right? That's true. They were kings. What kind of kings were they? They were foreign kings. Oops. They were foreign kings. Probably should have built a wall to keep them out. Um the only politically important, powerful, high and mighty person that had any insight at all into the coming of Jesus was Herod. And Herod lied to find out. And then he tried to kill him. He was the only important person at all that had any insight into the coming of Christ. So, The expectation was for this conqueror who would defeat their enemies. And Jesus came and said, no, what I want you to do is love your enemies. They were looking for a king and what they got was a baby. And what they got was not a baby king. They got a baby who was born in a barn. I want you to know, any child of royalty, you know, any heir to the throne would not have been born in a stable. They would have been born in much different circumstances than that. He certainly wasn't born to a royal family. His parents were the previously mentioned impoverished teenager and her blue-collar fiancé. When Jesus finally did launch into his ministry, he was essentially homeless, They were expecting a political kingdom, but Jesus really wasn't that into politics or nationalism or anything like that. Jesus proved to be a very, very different kind of Messiah than anybody was looking for. So I have another question for you this morning. What is your hope in? Um... Politics. There are a lot of people and there and there are a lot of Christian people who are of the mindset that if we can just get the right people in office and we can pass the right policies and laws and repeal the right policies and laws, everything will be okay. We'll be good. Boom. Some people, a lot of people in our culture today, their hope is in money. If I can make enough, earn enough, save enough, have enough, then we'll be fine. We're good. Some people's hope is in safety and security. You know, if we can have, uh, if we get enough guns and bigger weapons and more nukes, then we'll be good. We'll be safe and, and we'll be okay. Some people's hope is in science. And maybe there is sickness in your life and you're looking for a cure and you want science to figure out a way to make your life better. And look, okay, I want to clarify. Time out. I'm not saying that any of those things is necessarily bad uh, or that we shouldn't engage in conversation over those things. Certainly not. The last one, I told you earlier that I spent most of my weekend as a volunteering at this fundraiser looking for a cure for cystic fibrosis. And I am gratefully indebted in my own family and my own life to medical science and what God does through that. What I am saying, so I'm not saying that those are bad things. What I'm saying is this, if your hope is in them, you'll be disappointed. If that's where your hope lies, you you will be disappointed because it's not there. Our, Our hope is in that baby that Simeon saw in the temple that day. And we look for, we wait for, we expect the unexpected. We look for the one who sees us and knows us, who came to be with us, who redeems us and forgives us and heals us. The one who's already defeated sin and sickness and Satan and death. We expect the unexpected. That's what our hope is in. And that's what we should be looking for. And I want to encourage you today to do that. Not only in the grand scheme of things in the big picture, but I would encourage you today to do that in your day-to-day life as well. If, If you're... If you are sick, if you're suffering illness in your family, expect God to bring healing, okay? And this is what our policy is here. We've said, you come, and we'll pray for you. And then then later this week, you go to your home group, and you get people there to pray for you. And then you come back next Sunday, and we'll pray for you again. And you come the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that, and you come as many times as you need to come, and we'll continue to pray and ask God to bring healing because that's the expectation we have in our hearts. And we don't give up and we press into where, to that. Do you have broken relationships in your life? Do you have people that have walked away and 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 caused pain and grief? You should expect reconciliation. Expect God to move on your behalf and, and bring restoration to that relationship. Do you have a broken heart today? You should expect God to come and restore that broken heart. If you're in financial distress this morning, if you're in a place where you don't know how it's all going to come together at the end of the day, then you should expect the God of heaven to do a miracle on your behalf and provide a way for you to take care of the needs in your life. Because that's who God is and that's what God does and that's where our hope lies. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all nations. The sight of all nations, I can't read. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Let's stand.